Good morning, everybody. I'm continuing our message series called The Marathon. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the key challenges of each decade in the marathon of life. What we should do, avoid, take advantage of, and expect. Now, a big question in my mind, and probably in your mind, as we've been looking at what the key things are to do in each decade, is what do I do if I've failed to meet the challenges of a decade? What do I do if I look back and realize in my, in my teens or in my kids' early decades, 0 to 10, or in my 20s or in my 30s, etc., I missed it. I, I didn't do it right. I made some mistakes. There's, there's things that I was sowing and now I'm reaping in the later decades. What do I do? Now, first of all, I want to remind you of what God's word says and what God has pro- who God has proven himself to be. God is a gracious, merciful, and patient person. Our Father in heaven doesn't uh, take us from where we ought to be, but where we are. He deals with us according to our current circumstances. And he's not showing up and saying, you know, in your 20s, you really screwed this up. So you're on your own in your 40s. I'll see you in your 50s. That's not how God is. When we turn to God in repentance, when we confess our sin, when we acknowledge our folly, whatever it is, say, Lord, this is, this is a mess, and I see it now. Would you help me? The answer is always yes, in Jesus' name. It's always yes. This is who God is. And so your future can be a hopeful thing regardless of your past because of who God is. But there is a, um, a hard answer, which is it takes a long time to get out of a hole that we've put ourselves in. It takes a long time to turn a huge cruise liner. Imagine trying to change the direction of a huge cruise cruise ship. It takes a long time. In your life, the more decades you stack on top of it, the harder it is to make changes. doesn't mean you shouldn't try or you shouldn't do it. You definitely should. But this is why it's so important that we handle these decades right. So now what we're going to be doing today in this this, uh, sermon is we're going to be looking at what God's Word says about how to move forward in faith, how to bounce back from failure which is something that we're all going to need to know and do in our lives over and over again. So one of the first fundamental principles, one of the foundational truths you need to understand is that we reap what we sow. This is an ironclad law in the universe that God created. This is why Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This reaping and sowing, this actions and then harvest season, this is part of life. God has created plants and fruit-bearing trees and uh, plants with seeds in them of all kinds to teach us this lesson. If you have an apple seed, it's small, it seems insignificant, you plant it in the ground, you water it, what happens when you come back two years later? It's a huge tree full of apples. And each of those apples has seeds in it. One seed turns into tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of seeds. And this is the nature of our decisions in life. God is using agricultural metaphor to teach us what it means to uh, sow and to reap to make choices in one jet in decade and, and experience the blessing or the, or the cursing in the next decade. So now, what we need to recognize is that decisions and actions have consequences in this cause and effect world. And when we find ourselves at the fruit stand, when we find ourselves in harvest season, when we have all this 
rotten fruit around us that we don't like in a particular area of our lives, we can't get angry. We shouldn't deny it. We should just forthrightly, squarely look at it and say, okay, there must have been some things that I've chosen to do in the past that I need to correct. Now, when we fail, <clears throat> what God wants to do is he wants to teach us. He has some things he wants to instruct us in. It's part of the unique story that he's written for us. We still have good and hopeful things to live for. But we need to recognize that choices uh, that seem small and insignificant now can have huge consequences in the future. For example, debt. If you handle money poorly, if your debt grows, then your freedom diminishes. Your ability to snatch opportunities that come along financially, buy a house, make an investment, be a part of a new business that has real promise, you can't do those things. You don't have any margin. If you bury yourself in debt in your early 20s through too much borrowing for college or extending yourself in you know, reckless purchases, credit card debt, you name it. When you do that in your early decades, it can really kneecap you in later decades. If you're not saving for retirement at any point in your most um, uh, biggest earning years, then when you get older, you're not going to have much to live on. You have to work later and later and later, even when you might not be able to. And when you get there, you can't get mad and shake your fist at God. A man reaps what he sows. And this is why the proverb says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. Another example of reaping and sowing that kind of sneaks up on us, you'd say, but it's, it doesn't sneak up on us, is our adult kids. There are more and more parents in America today that are more and more discouraged, disheartened, and terrified about the future of their kids. And the truth is, for many of them, they were not being faithful in their parenting. They were not diligently parenting like God calls us to do in Deuteronomy 6. They had kind of a slack-handed approach to it. Or they were parenting in such a way that was in contradiction to what God says. And now their kids are older, and they weren't holding their kids accountable. There wasn't much discipline. And their children have become dependents. They live off the parents. This is not right. And it's a grief to parents. But because of the choices to do the hard things in those early years were put off or not chosen, now they're suffering the consequences. Now they're getting the harvest in the later years. And this is why it says in Proverbs 19, 13, a foolish son is a ruin to his father. Well, how, how does he ruin his father? How is he a ruin to his father? Well, because he's foolish. Well, how do you deal with folly? The Bible talks about that. King David is a good example of this. He had a whole bunch of sons that were just a mess because he did not hold them accountable, because he did not train them up diligently in the Lord. And they killed each other. They tried to steal the crown in the Civil War. It was, it was a mess. You also see uh, in our lives as Christians, uh, we really want to make an impact. We want to we do some damage in this world for the kingdom of God. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to help people grow in their faith. We want to expand churches and expand the kingdom through churches. You know, we want to do something important and significant in life. But the problem is you can't do that if you don't put roots down. In America, we're very tempted to be autonomous, isolate ourselves, hold back our commitments because we don't want to close off our options in the future because what if something better comes up? We worship selfie in America. And selfie says you do what you want, when you want, wherever you want, with whoever you want, and nobody tells you what to do. And one of the tenets of selfie worship is never say yes Never make firm commitments. Never put down roots. Because if you do, what if you miss out? FOMO, fear of missing out. Now, in the scriptures, this is seen as a very selfish and isolating move. And people who do this, they lack sense, especially if they want to make an impact. So, for example, in Proverbs 18.1, it says, Whoever isolates himself 
seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. He's seeking his own desire. He's worshiping himself. And he isolates himself so that he has lots of options. But that's that's foolish because you never build anything. You don't put roots down, you never harvest much. If you don't put roots down in a family, you're not going to have grandkids. If you don't put roots down in a career, you're not going to make much money or advance in your work. If you don't put roots down in a community, you're not going to have um, a reputation or neighbors or much influence in the area that you live. And Christians are just as susceptible to this because you can be at a church like Church in the Valley for years, but you never quite let your roots go down. You never let them intertwine with the other people around you because the truth is, in your heart, you have some things that you're set on for the future, near term or long term. And if you commit too much, if you say yes, if you participate fully in the ministry, well, that may cut off options for the things that you're after in the future. Now, those things aren't submitted to God. You didn't ask God about those things. You just decided that's what you're going to do. That's going to be your own unique story. You kind of have like this dual writer perspective of your life that, you know, yeah, you want to obey God, but there's a lot of life where you just get to write it in. But actually, you should be asking God, do you want me to commit myself to participating in this church for a year as a member? Do you want me to invest in these relationships? Do you want me to contribute here? And the answer is going to be yes, of course. And at the end of the year, you can make your assessment. And so uh, what you see is people who have kids that are Christians, um, when they get a little bit older, you realize they're not super serious about God. And they're not super serious about his bride, the church. But the kids learned it from you. They can see what you get excited about. They can see what you say yes to and no to, what you prioritize. They know because they're inside the house. They see the reality. And if they're picking up from their parents that we just keep our powder dry, we don't overcommit ourselves to anything that would jeopardize what we really want to do. And that thing that they really want to do is not something that God has said they should do. Kids pick that up and they learn that's how you walk as a Christian. But then those kids grow up into adulthood and parents start getting very anxious because that can drive you away from the Lord. Now, these things, these are kind of scary. And you see the, the negative fruit, the negative harvest in your life. You think, what do I do? And you can respond in a whole bunch of ways. And there's a whole bunch of ways that you could respond that are just going to get you deeper into a hole, make things worse. There are sinful responses that you can have when you realize that uh, you've failed in a past decade in a particular way. And now the consequences of those choices are piling up on you. And if you sin in this way, if you give in to a sinful response, it can be a mess. You see, when you realize you've got to change something, when you realize there's a problem, you're in a very vulnerable moment. Very vulnerable moment. If you respond in faith, you can totally bounce back from failure. But if we respond in sin, it's going to be one more lap around Mount Sinai. It's an old song, other old Southern Baptist song. One more lap, take another lap around Mount Sinai. And it's a reference to the children of Israel. They were wandering in the desert for 40 years. They got to the promised land right on the edge, but they rebelled against God. And so they had to take another lap around Mount Sinai. That's the way the song goes. And that's what happens to us. If we're not going to learn our lesson. It's going to be another lap around Mount Sinai. If you want to get out of Mount Sinai and out of the desert and you want to get into the promised land, then you've got to repent and turn and make some changes. But first, here are some sinful responses you do not want to choose. Simple response number one, live in denial. You can call it an accidental problem. You can refuse to talk about what didn't go right. You can refuse to acknowledge mistakes you made in your marriage, in your parenting, in your finances, in your health, in your career. You pick it. You're dealing with problems now. You look back. 
and see some things that were out of line, and you just deny it. And when you do this, you just become blinder. And there's no progress. In Jeremiah 6, 13 through 15, the Lord rebukes his people for choosing to deny, to live in denial uh, of all the things that they had done to sin against God. They were now receiving his judgment. It was harvest time. What they uh, sowed, they were now reaping. And as they were reaping it, wave after wave, their prophets, their powerful people, their kings were saying, oh, no, no, it's fine. God's not mad at us. It's it. no, no problem here. They were living in denial. Here's what it says in Jeremiah. For from the least to the greatest of them, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No, they were not all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. <clears throat> Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overturned. The Lord is chastising, rebuking the leaders of Israel because they are denying, they're living in denial of this, the consequences their sin has brought upon them. This is a bad response. Number two, if you find yourself reaping what you've sown, mistakes in past decades are not causing problems today, don't whitewash it. You know what whitewashing means? This is a, a charge or a, um, a rebuke that the Lord uh, repeatedly says at the leaders of, of Israel. Jesus uses it against the Pharisees. They're like whitewashed tombs. So here's a picture of a whitewashed tomb. Tombs on the outside, they're white, they're clean, they look very nice, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. Inside it's a mess, but on the outside it looks just fine. And what the Lord Jesus said was, you people keep trying to convince all of my people that everything is fine by creating this beautiful exterior, but inside it's a mess, it's full of death. And what we can do is we can realize there's real problems in our marriage, real problems in our family, real problems in the way we handle our money, real problems in the way we do decisions and relationships, real problems at work, real problems in all sorts of ways. And we become embarrassed. We become ashamed. We forget that we're Christians and that all the shame and all the guilt that we should feel for our poor decisions, that was all poured out on Christ. And there's, no, there's none left for us. That all it takes is us to confess to God. I confess my sin, forgive me, and it's washed away like it never happened. It doesn't mean the, the way forward is, is simple, but all that past stuff is gone. We're all forgiven because of our faith in Jesus. Every single Christian. So you don't need to be ashamed. But if you, if you forget that, if you get fooled into thinking you have to be something respectable all the time in the eyes of other people, you start whitewashing. And that keeps you stuck. One more lap around Mount Sinai. Another way you can respond sinfully is <clears throat> you can wallow in self-pity. You can be like, this is just not fair. I mean, I just do all these really good things, or it's, I don't understand how this is fair, and I really deserve this, and why do they get all these good things? You know, I've been, you can start being uh, arrogant and selfish. That's what self-pity is. You exalt yourself up. I'm so important that this bad thing should not happen to me. That's a both, that's a selfish thing. And it's an arrogant thing. Like, of course, those things I did back in my 20s and 30s, the, of course, the way I was relating to those people back then, that wasn't that big of a deal. Well, God says it's a big deal, but yeah, it's not a big deal. That's very arrogant for you to contradict what God says. So there's a kind of selfish and arrogant mix that makes you drunk. Self-pity makes you drunk. And when you get into self-pity, you become extremely uh, easy uh, to be fooled and to get in all sorts of evil. For example, King Ahab, if you read uh, 1 Kings 21, King Ahab wanted somebody else's field, Naboth. Naboth said, I can't sell it to you. It's my family's possession. King Ahab got mad. 
So he's sulking and he's having a pity party on his bed. And his wife comes in, Jezebel. She's a wicked lady. And he's sulking and complaining. He knows that he doesn't have right to this guy's land. He knows that God would forbid it. And yet he wants it. And she comes in and she says, I'll get it for you. And because of his self-pity, he was drunk on his self-pity, he listened to his wife. She murdered Naboth. And because of her wickedness and his wickedness, God rendered a judgment upon their family and all of them. Jezebel, Ahab, and all of their kids, they were all executed by the Lord through the hands of different people. Instead of being drunk on self-pity when we realize there's problems in our life because of past decades, we need to be sober in judgment. This is what Romans 12.3 says. It says, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself as somebody special who doesn't reap what they sow. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. When you look at yourself in the mirror, be sober about it. Acknowledge what happened. And finally, the last thing you can do, and this is really the worst, is you can rage against the Lord and blame him. Proverbs 19.3 says, a man's own folly ruins his life. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. If you rage against God, you decide in your heart it's his fault and I am just at war with God now because of the harvest that I'm reaping. It's like jumping off into a bottomless pit. This is a picture of a bottomless pit. Now, can you imagine jumping off into this darkness? How would you feel? Terror. Falling into the dark. You don't know what's up or down. You don't know how fast. At any moment, you could splat against the bottom. You're screaming. All you hear is the sounds of your torment. That's what it'd be like jumping off into a dark, bottomless pit. And that's what it's like when you rage against God. Those that rage against God go to the pit. You want to go there. Instead, you want to repent and turn around and look up. Because there's light and you can see your way out. If you're falling into a bottomless pit in the dark, you can't see anything. But if you were to somehow turn around, you would see light and a way out. When you rage against God because of the sowing and the reaping principle, what other world are you going to live in? This is just the way the world is. And so we have to be humble before God. We have to be wise and know his word. We have to ask God to help us see what it is we've done so that we can respond in a way so that we can bounce back, bounce back from failure. But if we respond in these sinful ways, it's one more lap around Mount Sinai. So how do we bounce back from failure in faith? I find that I'm in my 40s. I'm 41. I have three sons. And my wife and I have been married for almost 20 years. I was a teacher for 17 years. I had a career in teaching. Now I'm a pastor. Um, my dad's alive. My sister's and brothers-in-laws. I'm a part of Church in the Valley. I have friends and family. You know, I have all, my, my life is here. Okay, And I'm going and I'm listening to Pastor Randy and Pastor Thad, myself, we're preaching and going through what the scriptures say about these decades. And in the process of that, I realized there's some areas in my 20s and my 30s, even in my teens, that I, I failed some things. I missed some things. What do I do? I bounce back in faith. How do I do that? Well, first thing you do, first thing I do, is you admit that you failed. You actually admit well, no, not, not that admit you failed. You admit that there's a problem. That's the first step. There's a problem. It's like AA. First, you have to admit you have a problem, right? If you're not willing to admit there's a problem, Houston, we have a problem, there's not going to be any repentance, any turning, 
any check to change or course correction. So I have to resolve that I'm going to admit there's a problem. And if I'm married and it's in our marriage, I admit it's my wife. And if I have kids, we talk about it as a family. And if it's financially, then I'm going to admit it to my wife and I'm going to address it in the appropriate way. Wherever the problem exists, I need to be willing to say there's a problem here. And believe it or not, this is where most people get stuff. They're like, ah, it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's not a big deal. We're, we're, it's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's not as bad as it sounds. What they're really saying is there's no problem. One more lap around Mount Sinai. Now, having acknowledged there's a problem, then you want to figure out if this problem is rooted in sin. If sin has led to the failure, then admit it to God. And admit it to others if it's appropriate. So if you see there's a problem, then you want to look at what God's word says and figure out what, what is it, what's the path that I should have been on, what is the thing I should have been doing, and is there anywhere that I was out of line? And if I have been, then you confess it to God. You say, God, you know, I, I realize that I haven't been using my money in the way that you say. I spend more than I make. I, I use credit cards too often. Um, I don't tithe. I don't honor you as my God with my money. Um, I just, you know, I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. And now I'm looking back and I see just financial struggle all through my 30s. And there's a real problem here. And I know in these particular areas that it's sin. So would you please forgive me? I don't want to do that anymore. I agree it's wrong, and I ask that you forgive me in Jesus' name. And God forgives you, as if it didn't happen. And now you're moving forward in faith, and God's going to help you build from here. He's not going to say, you should have been here, but you're actually back here. So when you, through your own best efforts, get back to where you should be, well, then maybe I'll be gracious to you. No. As soon as you turn in repentance, God is right there. I mean, he's right there anyway. He's the one who's helping you turn in repentance. But you're going to experience him subjectively. You're going to begin to see the goodness of God in your life as you trust and obey him. That's what I'm trying to say. So you confess your sin to God. You confess your sin to others. If it's like, for example, you've got some real issues with your kids, right? It's kind of a madhouse. And when they were little, little bitties, you're like, you know, they're just little and every kid is different. But now they're like 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you know, around there. And there's some real structural problems. Like there's some, there's some real issues here. Character-wise, they're just a little bit out of control. And you, you, you start to realize there's a problem here. What you do is you ask people who have grown kids or older kids, people who have some wisdom in the area of parenting, you say, hey, here's, here's what's going on. Let me describe it to you. you. Your spouse is involved too, right? And then you ask them if they have any insights, if they have any questions, any thoughts. Help us evaluate what's going on. And if you discover that in your parenting you've missed some things, then you just confess it. And if you're the father, the head of the home, then you confess it to your wife. And if you're going to make some changes with the kids, like, you know, kids, we used to let you slap each other whenever you wanted because we just thought it was funny. But uh, <laughs> learn that that's, that's really not right. That's really a form of disrespect, dishonoring your brother and sister. We don't, we're not supposed to slap each other. <laughs> it's like a veggie tale, you know, when they slap each other with fish. Anyway. And you realize this isn't right. Well, then you sit the family down as the father, as the head of the home, as the one responsible for God. And you say, kids, I have not been leading you properly. I've allowed you guys to slap each other around. And that was wrong. And I didn't lead good. And it was a sin. So would you please forgive me for, for, for failing as your father to not be a good leader in this way? Please forgive me. They forgive you. Say, all right, we're going to change the ship around. We're not going to slap each other no more. <laughs> now, this is very simple. But this is how you begin to handle it with other people as appropriate when you realize that the problem is sin. Sin in the past. Okay? Now, there's lots of ways. There's lots of ways that we tend to fail and we begin to see. So when we say, okay, there's a problem, I'm willing to look at it as a problem, and we start asking God to show us, is there sin in my life that's caused this? It tends to be a kind of predictable cause, and it is slackness. A big one is slackness. Slack-handedness, when you just have a loose grip on your responsibilities. This is um, a sin 
that people commit throughout the story of God's people. It happens a lot. And slack-handedness comes out in a couple different ways. So I want to help you out. One of them is neglect. You neglect. When you were in your 20s, when you were in your teens, when you were in your 30s, whatever it was, you neglected getting wisdom. Actually learning, studying, really getting diligent about God's word, trying to begin to wash your mind out of the old pagan way of thinking and starting to think biblically. You just didn't do that. Like that was a pastor thing or that was like a Green Beret Christian thing or that was those people thing, but this wasn't your thing. And that's actually neglect. And what that means is, is as you're making decisions in your life, you're not able to discern the right way to go. Then you make the choice as best as you can, but it's not what God would have you do. And then over time, as you have sown these seeds, you're now reaping the fruit. And so what you say is, God, I've neglected really pursuing wisdom. I haven't quite given the time and attention that I need to give. Maybe you've neglected your health. Maybe you've neglected your finances. Maybe you've neglected your wife or your husband or your kids or some other relationship. Right? Time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure and relationships are kind of the stewardships in our life. Like you have your time that you spend and where you spend your time and there's the money that you have and how you spend that. And you have your gifts and abilities and how you use those things. And then there's relationships that you have. And these kind of four things cover a lot of the decisions we make in the decades. And maybe you've neglected in some of those areas. Another way we get slack-handed is we get distracted. It's easy to get distracted by our desires, by pleasure, by the desire to rest and have more ease. The the easy way is so tempting. The easiest possible way to get what I want is actually a trap of the enemy. And our hearts, they just long for the easy way. And maybe you got distracted. Maybe in your 20s and your 30s you got into some secret sin or some sort of habitual sin that has this anchor effect, kind of dragging you down, slowing you down, wearing you down, sapping you of spiritual vitality. And this distraction has led to a not-so-great harvest. You expected this, but you got this. And you're like, why? And then you look back and you watch the film and you realize, oh, I was distracted. This is easy to do with kids in your 20s and 30s because like, you're busy trying to make money, trying to survive, You know, mom's just trying to keep everybody alive and keep them clothed and fed and healthy. And, you know, it takes a lot of time with kids, a lot of quality time, a lot of conversations. You know, sometimes we're tired at the end of the night. It's like, I'll put them to bed tomorrow and I'll I'll get in bed with them tomorrow or I'll address that later. And then it's a week then it's a month then it's a couple years. And you realize, oh, this is a real pattern that I've never really addressed. And what that is, is that's distraction. That's neglect. It's also easy in your 40s. You finally have some margin. You finally have some cushion. And so in your 40s, you start to take your foot off the gas when it comes to the kingdom. You start getting distracted into the pleasurable life. And you hit your 50s and your 60s, and you don't quite have the honor that you thought you would have. There's not as many people asking you for advice. But that's because in your 40s, you were off playing golf. You weren't investing in the people in their 20s and 30s. You weren't having them over to your house. You weren't building into them. So now you're in your 60s. You're like, where's all these people supposed to be asking me for advice? And this doesn't exist. And that's because you got distracted. And there's also haste. Another way that we can get distracted or slack-handed is haste. If you keep digging up the seed, you're not going to grow much. If I'm always in a hurry, if my life is wide but shallow, it's not going to grow. Good things take time. You have to plod like a horse day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade. And then it has a compounding interest effect. For example, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Diligence, slow, abundance. 
hasty, fast poverty. This is the choice. And the best way to illustrate this is the compound interest. So compound interest is an amazing thing that you can teach kids in economics class. I used to teach economics, and I try to teach these kids something really important. I say, listen up, kids. You're young. If you start saving money when you're 25, by the time that you're 65, you'll be millionaires. And their eyes get real big. And let me explain it. It's very simple. If you take $2,000 that you saved up by the time you're 25 and you put it into the proper investment, and then you put $250 into an IRA or whatever investment uh, vehicle every month, and you do that for 40 straight years, after 40 years, that amount will be $1,875,000. That's how much money you have collected, basically, with compound interest. And do you know what the interest payment is for you every month? you know how much money you're going to get off of that in interest? You're never going to touch the principal every month? $15,000 a month. You can live off of $15,000 a month and never touch the principal. How did you get so much money? How did you get so rich when you're 65? Well, a man reaps what he sows. If you're diligent, it says in the proverb I just read to you, it leads to abundance. Well, that's also true of your marriage. If you're making these deposits faithfully, regularly, as your marriage goes on in time, it matures. It, it blossoms. It's abundant. That's what happens with your relationship with your kids. That, that's what happens with your health and your body. That's what happens in your career with skills and getting sharper and better. That's what happens at a church as you love and build a kingdom amongst a group of people over the decades. It all builds compounds over time. Now, as you look at this, you might think, okay, <laughs> I get it. I need to admit I got a problem. I need to confess my sin to God and anybody else involved. And then you need to seek forgiveness, right? Ask people to forgive you. And then thank God for his mercy to show you, wow, I can see. I can see what needs to change. That's a mercy from God. So thank him. And now what you've done is you've dealt with the past. And now what you want to do is turn and deal with the future. Having dealt with the past biblically, Christianly, right? You've confessed your sin. You haven't hid your sin. You've repented of it. You've asked God to wash it. He has washed you, cleared things up with people. You thank God for what he's done. And now you're turning to the future. How do you go into the future and bounce back from failure by faith? You resolve to learn your lesson. You make a resolution, absolute commitment. I am going to learn my lesson and I'm going to do this very, very seriously and very, very formally. In Proverbs 26.11, it says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Don't repeat your folly. I am committed to not going around Mount Sinai one more time. And so for each of these steps I'm about to go over, about the future, how do you actually resolve to learn your lesson? For each of the steps I'm about to go over, there's an important thing you need to remember. For every single step, you need to get wise counsel. You need to share everything you're thinking and everything you're planning with the wise. You need to give them the real facts and ask them their perspective on what went wrong, why, and how you can deal with it. Wise counsel will establish your plans. Do it on your own. Okay? So number one, number two, number three, number four. Number one, ask God for insight and write them down. Number two, write a summary report. Number three, write your moving forward plan out. And number four, do it. Let's take them one at a time. Moving forward into the future, bouncing back from failure in faith, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask God for insight, and I'm going to write it down. God, what happened? Help me see on the whiteboard what happened. Help me see what I don't see. Ask God to make clear to you 
what he is trying to say to you and teach you through the failures. Write down the real unvarnished facts of the failures. Don't blame shift. Don't make it worser or nicer than it is. And don't fool yourself. So you want to write out all the things that went wrong in your marriage, in this relationship, with the finances, with your health, in this other area. You pick it. You write it down. Number two, write a summary report. Based on wise input in prayer, so you bring all this initial speculation to someone, your autopsy, your diagnosis. You say, look, here's what I think has gone wrong. Here's the best that I can tell what, what's off. And they talk and they ask questions and they look at what the scripture says and it's, it's a really good thing. Okay? And then what you do is at that point you say, okay, I, I, as best I can tell, this is what happened. A summary report. Based on wise input in prayer, come up with your own statement of what went wrong, why things happened the way that they did. Lessons for yourself so that you can keep from failing in the same way in the future. It's a serious deal. When Republicans or Democrats lose an election, they do an election autopsy. And they write it out and they go through the data and everybody's really serious about it. When a business fails, they fire the CEO, they bring in a new person, they do an autopsy. They study it, they write it down, they make really clear plans to make adjustments for the future. When a team loses the World Series or the Super Bowl or whatever, sometimes they fire the coach and they say, here's what's wrong with this season. Here's the changes we're going to make, right? When a doctor is giving you advice about your health, they say, you've got to stop doing this. This is killing you. You need to start doing that. It will save your life. It's very serious. They have a chart. You've got a plan. But for some reason in my life, it's not supposed to be that serious. Like, it's true in every area that matters in this world, but it doesn't apply to my life. Of course it does. Write it down. Type it on a computer. Print it off. Share it with your family, your wife, your advisors. Make a big deal about this. And then number three, write your moving forward plan. Last part of the plan is I'm going to outline ways to move forward righteously and wisely. So I had a friend who actually did this. He was in a hole financially, didn't know how to get out, just going around Mount Sinai. And then very humbly, this person invited in people to look at the books. He opened the books. He showed us all the out and all the ins, all the debts, all the costs, everything that was going on financially. Lifted the hood up so everybody could look at the engine. He got really good perspective. People asked great questions, helped him form a good picture of where he was at, how he got there, and how to get out of it. And he got out of it. Took a couple years, but he got out of it. And that's true for everything. We just had a marriage uh, conference where Dr. Nathan Lewis talked about how him and his wife, they're on the verge of, of divorce until he's finally really to say, I have a problem. And then he identified his sin and he confessed it to his wife. And he started repenting and then things recovered. That's what it takes. So ask God for insight, write it down. Write a summary of what went wrong. That's the report. Then write a moving forward plan, what I'm going to do in the future. And then finally, do it. Do it. This is how you exercise your faith. This is what faith looks like. You're not doing this because you came up with a clever idea. You're doing it in faithful obedience to God. You have dealt with your sin in the past by bringing it underneath the cross. This is why Jesus died, so that I don't have to. This is why Jesus suffered, so that I don't have to. This is why Jesus was cursed and has his future snatched from him, so that I don't have to. And that's true for you, too. We have a means by which to remove the anchors that are weighing us down in the past, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And for anybody who puts their faith in Christ, that is cut off and it's gone. It's dealt with. But now turning and looking to the future, you have to walk in faith. And if you will walk in faith, then you're sowing good seed. And in time, you will reap a harvest of peace and joy and righteousness. But if you don't, 
if you think, ah, that sounds kind of serious and formal, I don't know anybody who's done that. That's probably just that young pastor, Mr. you know, uh, Pastor Sprinkle, Pastor Matt. It's another lap around Mount Sinai. So make your choice. I want to encourage you to take some next steps. Number one, if you're not a Christian, everything that I've said today, everything that God has said through me and through the scriptures, this is not available to you. These promises and blessings are only available to those who receive them through Christ. And the way you do that is you become a Christian. And the way you become a Christian is you understand what God is saying through the Bible. You see that Jesus Christ is the one that God sent to save you, to take your sins and wash them away. That Jesus Christ is the one who brings you into the family of God. That as you follow him, give your life to him, you are reborn. God will give you his spirit. He will transform you from the inside out. You will live forever with him and his people. All the power and love and goodness of God is now working on your behalf. This is all available to you through Christ Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to follow Christ, even if it's the first time uh, that you've ever heard this. But something inside of you is saying, this is the truth. Then I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer. Father, I believe that your son Jesus is the Savior of this world, and I want him to be my Savior. Father, please forgive me for my sins that I've committed against you. I don't want them anymore. Please forgive me in Jesus' name. And please... Adopt me as one of your sons or daughters. I want to walk with you now and forevermore. Amen. That is a sincerely prayed prayer. God is not playing games. He will save. You'll be born again. And if you decide to do that, please let us know so that we can help you as brothers and sisters take your first steps as a child of God. Number two, resolve to learn your lesson in an area. Don't go through this message or this series having never applied it to your life. What is one area you know there's a problem? Write it down on that blank line. And resolve yourself to learn your lesson. And number three, in faith, I will bounce back by. What is the step you're going to take moving forward to bounce back? Are you going to ask for advice? Are you going to study the scriptures on that topic? Are you going to talk to your spouse? Are you going to ask your parents about something? What are you going to do to bounce back in faith? This is your responsibility. And if you'll do it, if you put in the effort, God's grace is sufficient. As you effort, as you pour yourself out, as you do things, you'll find you extend your hand and God's grace is right there with you. God gets all the credit. It's all his grace. Even the desire to change he put in you. However, without any effort, you're not going anywhere. This is the way it works. Your effort doesn't earn God's love. Your effort doesn't earn God's grace. Your effort doesn't earn you anything. But without your effort, you're not going anywhere. So I want to encourage you to take seriously what God has been teaching you over the last several weeks as we wrap up this series. This is our second to the last message. I want to encourage you to apply it. And I know our good and loving and gracious Father, well, he will do great things in your life. And I know it because I know he loves you and he loves me. And I know it because of his son Jesus, whom he gave up for you and I. I know it because of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to learn and get wisdom from your word. Lord, all of us are a mess, make mistakes. We've all sown in sin and we've reaped problems. And we ask for your forgiveness in Jesus' name. For all of our sins, we pray that you would forgive us and wash them away. And Father, as we turn forward in the future, help us to back, bounce back in faith. Help us, Lord God, to see as you see. Help us to diagnose our situations well to come up with plans to make changes and give us the power and grace and desire to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.